which is to be able to minister to your people, to help them. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would come upon me at this time. Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity of mind to be able to preach the Bible in its context, Lord, to be able to learn from Scripture. There's a reason why you gave us the book of Nehemiah. There's a reason why you gave us this chapter. I pray you'd help us to be able to learn from it this morning. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Well, we're there in Nehemiah chapter number 4 this morning, and we've been making our way through the big, the book of Nehemiah as we've been studying this book, and we're not going verse by verse through it, but we've been uh, talking about this idea of rise and build, and every week we've been looking at a different principle from the book of Nehemiah, and been asking you questions, and if you remember, basically the book of Nehemiah has been a very exciting book up to this point. If you go back, flip back to chapter 2 just real quickly, and look at verse number 17, you remember when Nehemiah showed up? to Jerusalem, and he cast that vision. He was that leader that was able to cast the vision. Nehemiah chapter 2, if you look at verse 17, the Bible says, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and he said to the people, Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. And he, he kind of uh, tried to get the people excited about the, their, they, they, they were a reproach, and there was a need, and there was something they needed to do. Verse 18, the Bible says this, Then I told them of the hands of my God, which was upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And they said, now here's the exciting part, not just when Nehemiah gets up and casts the vision and, and, and you know makes the case for the fact that they have to build up the wall, but when the people then rose up and said, notice what they said, let us rise up and build, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. And you've got to understand, it is exciting when a leader with a vision uh, is able to find a group of followers that are willing to back him up and willing to stand up and say, we'll catch that vision and we'll get on board and we'll work. And they said, let us rise up and build. That's an exciting time in Jerusalem when Nehemiah showed up and the people got behind his vision. And then, of course, if you remember in chapter 3, if you can flip over to chapter 3 real quickly, chapter 3 was all about building. It's all about progress. It's all about accomplishment. We won't take the time to preach through chapter 3, but let me just give you some highlights that we saw last week. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. Notice it says, They builded the sheep gate, they sanctified it, and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. Look at verse 2. And next unto him, and I want you to key in on this word, builded the men of Jericho, and next unto them, keen on this word, builded Zachar, the son of Imri, verse 3, but the fish gate did the sons of Hassaneah, notice this word, build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. So in chapter 3, not only uh, do we have the people, not only do we have the leader excited about doing something, but in chapter 3, they begin to build. And I won't take the time to go through the the entire chapter, but I want you to notice in verse 4 it says, and next unto them, repair. You see that word repaired? Look at verse 5. And next unto them, the Tekoites repaired. Look at verse 6. Moreover, the old gate repaired. Look at verse 7. And next unto them, repaired. And you will find that throughout the rest of the chapter, this word comes up in every verse except two verses, this word repaired. And here's what you got to understand. Chapter 3 was exciting. 
In chapter 2, Nehemiah shows up. He casts the vision. The people catch the vision. They get excited. They get to work. In chapter 3, they actually begin to build. They begin to repair. They begin to see things get better. The walls building up. The walls growing. Things that were decaying. Things that were uh, nasty and, and, and dirty are now getting fixed up. And they're beginning to see progress. And then in chapter 4, everything slows down. Because here's what you've got to understand. Building is exciting. When you begin to build something, and maybe may your spiritual life, maybe your family, maybe your career, maybe a church, maybe you know, whatever it is that you're working on in your life, when you begin to build and when you begin something, it's always exciting when you see progress. When you, know, you go on a diet, you start to see those, those pounds come off. That's exciting, right? You, you, you decide, I'm going to save a certain amount of money. You start seeing that account go up. It's exciting. You, you decide, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and, and you begin something. Honeymoons are exciting, aren't they? But you've got to understand something. Building and progress and accomplishment always attracts opposition. Look at verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 4. The Bible says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard, now notice what he heard, that we builded the wall. He heard good news. He heard, they're doing something. They're accomplishing something. They got a raise. They, they breached their goal. They, they, they bought that house. Or they, you know, they, they had that child. They, he heard something good. Notice, when Sambalit heard that we builded the wall, notice he was wroth. The word wroth means he was angry. He's upset. And took great indignation. And notice what the Bible says, and mocked the Jews. You've got to understand this. When you begin to build and succeed, when you begin to accomplish and do something, building, progress, accomplishment, attracts opposition. And here's what your opposition always does. They mock you. They make fun of you. And they also minimize you. Look at verse 2. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, now notice what they said. What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive these stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Notice verse 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build of a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. They said, they're not doing anything. They're not accomplishing anything. Let them go build that wall. If a fox jumped on that wall and tried to walk on that wall, that wall would fall apart. Now you've got to understand something. There is a reason for the opposition. And the goal of the opposition is to cause you to quit. Whatever you're accomplishing, whatever, you got to understand this. There will always be people who are not happy to see you succeed, who are not happy to see you progress, who are not, you say, I, I've been sober for X amount of years or X amount of days or X amount of months. People are going to, they're going to get mad at that. They're going to get upset with that. You start saying, man, I'm coming out of debt and I'm turning things around financially. My, my marriage is working out. Or Look how my children are going up. There's going to be people that will hear of your building, hear of your success, hear that the church is growing and they're going to hate it. They're going to get mad about it. They're going to get wroth about it. And the opposition's goal is this, to cause you to quit. Look at verse 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. I love that phrase. The people had a mind to work. But it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up. 
They heard that the walls were almost done. They heard that progress was being made. And the breaches began to be stopped. That they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come. Here's the goal. Here's why they criticize you. Here's why they mock you. Here's why they minimize you. Here's why they attack you. To fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. See, some people just want nothing more than to see you stop. To see you quit. To see you be hindered. Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayers unto our God instead of watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Look at verse 11, And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them. We're talking about a surprise attack. They say they're not going to know, they're not going to see, they're going to wake up and we're going to be in the midst of them and we're going to slay them, we're going to kill them, we're going to attack them. Why? Notice, the, look, look at the last part of verse 11. And cause the work to cease. See, building is exciting. Progress is exciting. But building always attracts opposition. And opposition's goal is to cause you to quit, to be hindered, to cease the work that you're doing. And you've got to understand this. There's this principle in Scripture, and I want to try to develop it this morning just by way of introduction. Keep your finger there in Nehemiah. That's our text for this morning. But go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 16 this morning. Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 16. And look at verse number 18. There is a principle in Scripture that you cannot build without a battle. You cannot build. You can never build. You can never accomplish without it attracting obstacles and opposition and people who will want to fight against you. Notice the Lord Jesus Christ said this about his church. And I want you to just notice what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Notice what he says. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and I want you to notice the statement that Jesus makes. The statement has to do with building his church. He says, and upon this rock, notice what he says, I will build my church. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, I'm going to build my church. And then the next statement that comes out of the Lord Jesus Christ's mouth is this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. And you've got to ask Jesus, well, what, what is that? What does one have to do with the other? Jesus, why would you say, I will build my church? And then the very next statement, the, the next statement in context says, and by the way, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And here's what Jesus is trying to tell you. You can never build without battling. You can never succeed without having someone be mad and upset and attack you and oppose you and afflict you. He says, I will build my church. And he said, but don't think that's just going to be this easy ride. You're just going to be able to accomplish much and do great things. And no one's ever going to oppose you. He says, I will build my church. And he says, but get ready for the fight because the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. You're there in Matthew. Go with me to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The last of the Gospels. John chapter 10. You've got to understand this. And I think a lot of us, we, we, under, we, we think this, like we understand this, you know, in theory, but we don't really understand it in a practical way. There is a real opposition. There is a real enemy. John chapter number 10 and verse number 10, notice what the Bible says. And I've, you've seen these verses before, but I want you to see them again. John chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible says this, The thief cometh not, but to steal and to kill, and to destroy. 
Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And we like that part where Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But we've got to understand that there is a thief, there is an enemy who cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Do you understand that there's someone who wants to steal and kill and destroy in your life, in your marriage, with your children, with your finances, in this church? Your spiritual walk? There is an actual enemy. I know we've seen these verses, but let's look at them together. Go to 1 Peter chapter number 5. If you start at the end of the Bible, you have the book of Revelation. If you go backwards, you have the book of Jude, which is one chapter. You got 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then you got 1st and 2nd Peter. Go to 1st Peter chapter number 5. Look at verse number 8. So you got Revelation, Jude, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter. 1st Peter chapter number 5. Look at verse number 8. Notice what the Bible says. 1st Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. The Bible says this. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, that means your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a devil? Do you believe that there is a, a spiritual warfare? Let's look at that verse. Go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 6. If you start back at the beginning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Now when you get to Ephesians chapter 6, do me a favor. Put your ribbon there or a bulletin or a bookmark because we're going to leave Ephesians 6, but then we're going to come back to it, okay? So Ephesians chapter 6, put something there so you can get back to it quickly. Ephesians chapter 6, but I want you for right now to look at verse number 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12. Notice what the Bible says. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. See, it's not about actual people. It's not about politics. It's not about your in-laws or the people that are causing you problem at work. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And the question I have for you this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe that we're in a spiritual warfare? Do you believe that the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he made devour? Do you believe that there is a thief that wants to kill and wants to steal and wants to destroy? Do you believe that there's an opposition? Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. If you're there in Ephesians, you go to Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy. See, here's what you got to understand. We want to build without a battle. We want to accomplish with no conflict. We want to win, but we don't want to have to do anything to win. And listen, today there is an opposition. You know, in marriage, we are told, statistics tell us, that 50% of marriages end in divorce. And here's the crazy question that I have to ask. is how do 50% of couples that get married go from one day standing at an, at, a, at an altar before a preacher saying, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and then they get to the place where they say, I can't even spend another day with you. How does that happen? 50% of marriages. Today, children are being lost to their parents. Parents are losing the heart and the influence of their children. Children today grow up to be these teenagers who are more interested in what their friends say, more interested in what their girlfriend says, or their boyfriend says, or what their coach says, or whoever, more interested in what the media says and what their parents, and parents, they just feel like I'm losing the heart of my child, I'm losing the influence I have on my child. I, they, they, you know, and here's the question I have to ask. How do they go from six and seven and eight years old, where daddy's the hero, where mommy's the hero, where they, you know, would want nothing more than to please you to being a 16 and a 17 and an 18-year-old brat? Rebellious. How does that happen? 
I'll tell you exactly how it happens. Because there's opposition that doesn't want you to succeed. We're told today that 20% of churches, church plants, our church was a church plant. We started in September of 2010. This coming September will be our fifth anniversary. We're told that 20% of churches close their doors within the first year, 20%. And those who do not close their doors within the first year, 80% of those close within five years. We've got to make it to September just to beat the stats, you know what I mean? 80% of them close within the first five years. And here's the question that I ask. How do you go from a group of people who are excited, who are encouraged, who are striving together for the faith of the gospel, and then that same group of people turns into a group of critical, cynical, upset, you know, I've got my clique here, and I've got my group here, and I don't like those people, and I don't like... How does a group that starts off and says, well, reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, get to the place where they split, or they quit, or they close the doors? How does that happen? And here's how it happens. Because of opposition. Because when you begin to grow, when you begin to succeed, when you begin to accomplish something, building always attracts opposition. We're told that the average American has $15,000 in credit card debt. We're told that the average, 76% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. You think that's by mistake? There's an agenda out there to keep you in bondage. Drugs, alcohol, marriage, you know, uh, children being born out of wedlock, all through the roof. Why? Because there's an opposition out there. There's an enemy out there who wants to destroy you. Spiritually, we're told that the average quote-unquote Christian, I'm not talking about independent fundamental Baptist, I'm just saying whatever you consider a Christian, the average Christian consistently goes to church, serves God for seven years. That's the average. Some are longer, some are shorter, some are much shorter. But the average Christian in America goes to church for seven years and then quits fades out, finds something else to do, isn't interested anymore. And the question you've got to ask is, why does that happen? And I'll tell you exactly why it happens. Because of opposition. See, building is exciting. But most people don't want to build and battle. They just want to build. But the problem with that is, is that you cannot build without battling. Building always attracts opposition. You cannot have accomplishment without conflict. Are you there in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Look at verse number 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 is a great verse. This should be one of our life verses. This should be one of our, you know, our goals in life. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. He said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He's talking about the fact that he's getting ready to die, getting ready to be, to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. He says, there's a reward coming. There's a crown coming. He says, I've, I've, I've accomplished it. I've done it. But you got to understand this. You cannot have verse 8 without first having verse 7. You say, what does verse 7 say? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. So you got to understand this. You cannot accomplish without conflict. You say, well, what's the trick? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at verse number 16. See, the problem is, the, peop- the reason people quit, the reason people give up, the reason people, you know, stop trying, here's why. Because building is exciting. The honeymoon is exciting. 
That, that first time and the walls going up and the gates are being repaired and, and you start to see things happen. You think, that's exciting. That's fun. I want to get on that. I want to be part of that. But when opposition shows up, most people say, I don't know that I signed up for this. So what do we do? You must choose to build. It's good to build. But here's what you got to understand. You must choose to build and battle. Are you there in Nehemiah chapter 4? Look at verse 16. Nehemiah chapter 4, look at verse 16. And it came to pass from that time forth. So here's what happened. They're building. Chapter 2, it's exciting. Chapter 3, they're building. They're accomplishing. They're doing great things. But then the enemy shows up. Satan shows up. That roaring lion walking about seeking whom he made the vow. He shows up. And he influences Sanballat and, and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Samaritans. He brings his crew with him. And the conflict begins. And notice what the Bible says in verse 16. And it came to pass that, from, uh, that time forth. Nehemiah doesn't say we packed up and went home. Nehemiah doesn't say we finished because it was too hard. Nehemiah doesn't say we gave up. We didn't realize that's not what I signed up for. Notice what it says. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work. He said, okay, half the group is going to keep working, going to keep building, going to keep preparing. And the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows. And the habergins, that's a coat of mail, like an armor. And the rulers were behind all the houses of Judah. They which built it on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands. Notice, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, notice, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so built it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Look at verse 21. Skip down to verse 21 just real quickly. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spear from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. You say, what do you do when conflict arises? What do you do when it's not fun anymore? What do you do when the honeymoon's over and now you're having marriage problems? What do you do when you lose your job and now you're having financial difficulties? What do you do when the health begins to slip? What do you, what do, you do when you were building? You were just interested in doing something for God. You were accomplishing something and it was great and it was fun. But then it got hard. What do you do? You build. And you battle. And let me just real quickly, that was all introduction. The sermon's real short. I want to give you three, just real quick, just three thoughts. In regards to how do you build while you battle? How do you build while you battle? For those of you who like, who like to take notes, point number one, you pray to God. I want you to notice Nehemiah. Go, go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at verse number 4. When he hears about the conflict, here's what he did. And I love this about Nehemiah. It's consistent throughout the entire book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible says this. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, you know that I'm trying to do something for you. You know that you called me here. You know that you gave me this burden. You know that you opened up the gates. You let the king give me the resources. You're the one that brought me here. And these people, they're not attacking me, God. They're attacking you. He says, God, would you take care of them? He says, don't blot out from before thee their iniquity. He says, he says God, and here's what he's saying. 
He went to God in prayer. Look, look at verse uh, 6. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Tambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Astadites, those are all the enemies, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. Notice verse 8. And conspired all of them together to come to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Notice what Nehemiah does. Verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. And set a watch against them day and night because of them. Did you keep your place in Ephesians? Can you get back to Ephesians chapter 6? See, you've got to understand this. In spiritual battle, in spiritual warfare, in conflict, we are commanded to pray. Let me just, I'm not going to preach through Ephesians 6. Let me just give you the context. Remember we read verse 12, Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. And this is the famous passage where he talks about getting the armor of God so you can fight against the devil. Uh, notice what he said. We could preach on this. I'm not going to preach on it. But notice what he says, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the word of God. Now, all of that's what's considered the armor of God. And that's where it basically ends, the armor of God. But notice the context, because from verse 12 to verse 17, we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about fighting the devil. We're talking about, uh, you know, opposing the, those who oppose us. But notice what he says in verse 18, praying always without prayer and supplication. You know what he's saying? When you're in battle, you fight. You, you, and you got to fight. He says you pray. In the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication of all the things. Here's the thing. We have the greatest weapon probably known to man. Access to God the Father. Access to God who created us, who created this universe, who created everything. And we have access to Him. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. We can go to Him in prayer. And so often we don't. And so often we don't pray. And so often we don't go to God. And here's what Nehemiah did. He said, well, how was Nehemiah able to do this hard work? Here's how he did it. He prayed to God. Do you pray? I'm not asking you to answer that out loud. I'm just asking, do you pray? Do you have a time with God? You say, well, my, it's hard right now. Then you should be doing more prayer when you're battling. But I want you to notice number two. Go back to Nehemiah chapter four. Number one, we see that Nehemiah prayed to God. Number two, I'd like you to see Nehemiah partnered with others. Nehemiah partnered with others. Look at verse 19. And said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people. He says, the work is great and large. He says, what we're doing is, it's a big task. He said, this is big. He says, we are separated unto the wall out far from another. He says, you're working over there. I'm working over here. We're working all around this and we're really separated. Look at verse 20. In what place there, therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet. He said, I'm going to grab a guy. I'm going to give him a trumpet. He's going to stand next to me. When someone attacks us, when someone fights us, when someone goes against us, he's going to sound the trumpet. And notice what he says. He says, Therefore, ye hear the sound of trumpet, resort ye hither unto us, for our God shall fight for us. Here's what he's saying. You're all the way over there. I'm all the way over there. Uh, you know, this guy's over here. We're separated. We're busy. We're working. We're, we're doing the things we need to do. But when one of us gets attacked, let's all join together and let's all help each other out. Here's what he did. He partnered with others. 
Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You're there in Nehemiah? You go past Esther, past Job, past Psalms, past Proverbs, past Ecclesiastes, or not past Ecclesiastes, to Ecclesiastes, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. You know that we were created for community? You all know why Facebook is so popular? Because you want to be connected. That's why there's bowling leagues and, you know, you know, all these sports leagues and all these different things. People want to join together. People want to be part of this car group and this motorcycle group and this and that. Why? Because we were created to be in community. Now, God already gave us a way to be in community. He gave us a local New Testament church where we are to congregate together as members of the body coming together. Now, people don't want God. They want to reject God. It's easier to just go ahead and get the fellowship from Facebook. It's easier to get the fellowship from the bowling league. It's easier to get the fellowship from, you know, the whatever you're involved in. But you got to understand, God gave you a church for a reason. Are you there in Ecclesiastes chapter 4? Look at verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. You, get, you know you get more done when you got two than just one? Now here's the benefits. Look at verse 10. For if, they sh- for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath no other to help him up. Look at verse 11. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Look at verse 12. And if one prevail against him, one gets in a fight. And he's losing. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Here's the problem with the bowling league. Here's the problem with the bike club. Here's the problem with the street gang. Here's the problem with whatever you're involved in. They may give you fellowship while things are going good, but they don't really care if you get a divorce. They don't really care if you relapse. They don't really care if your finances are falling apart. In fact, they might encourage you to do something wrong. But you know what's great about the local New Testament church? That if you are under attack and you are being prevailed against, someone can come alongside and help you and say, I'm praying for you. I'm here for you. Let me hold you up. Let me hold you up in prayer. Let me be your brother in Christ. Let me try to help you not get overtaken. See, Nehemiah not only prayed to God, but he also partnered with others. Number three, look at, go back to Nehemiah chapter 4, look at verse 16. Nehemiah chapter 4, look at verse 16. You don't believe there's a satanic influence? You don't believe there's someone trying to attack you, someone trying to keep you from being able to become the man or the woman that God has called you to be? Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, look at verse 16. Not only did Nehemiah pray to God, not only did Nehemiah partner with others, But Nehemiah also persevered through difficulty. I want you to notice this. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears and it goes on to talk about the different weapons. Look at verse 17. They which build it on the wall, they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. Look at verse 18. And the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so built it. Now here's what I want you to understand. In, verse, in chapter 2, it's exciting. People are excited. We're going to rise up and build. In chapter 3, they're getting worked up. Everyone's working. They're firing on all cylinders. They're building the wall. They're repairing the breaches. They're getting things done. In, verse 12, in, in chapter 4, everything becomes kind of unproductive. Because now, because they have this opposition, now half of their workforce has to be on guard. You understand what I'm saying? That's going to slow them down. Now, before they were just working away, now everyone has to have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other just in case. And everything slows down. 
And everything becomes unproductive. And not only are things unproductive, but notice things are uncomfortable. Look at verse 21. So we learned, so we labored in the work, verse 21, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 21. So we labored in the work, and half of them held their spears. Notice this, from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. They didn't work an eight-hour shift. From the moment they woke up to the moment the stars appeared, they were on guard. Look at verse 22. Likewise, at the same time said I unto the people, let everyone with a servant lodge within Jerusalem, that is, the night they may be guard to us and labor on the day. Look at verse 23. So neither I, nor my brethren, nor my servant, nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. And that's good. I'm glad you did that at least. You ever had a long day at work? And all you want to do is just, or you had a long day, you know, you're out doing something. And all you want to do is just come home, take your shoes off, get some comfortable clothes, and just relax. You ever been there? These guys didn't get to do that. They didn't take off their clothes. They went to bed in their work clothes. Why? Because the enemy may attack at any moment. They took them off to wash them, put them back on. From the moment they woke up till the stars appeared at night, they were on guard, they were working, they were accomplishing. You say, that is extremely uncomfortable. But here's what you got to understand. When you are building, you attract opposition, and things become uncomfortable. You say, Pastor Jimenez, coming to church on Sunday morning, coming to church on Sunday night, going to church on Wednesday night, going to church soul winning, having Bible time with my kids every day, reading the Bible for myself every day, praying every day. I mean, it's just, it's hard. It's difficult. It's uncomfortable. But here's what I understand. It is always uncomfortable when you're building and battling. You say, well, all I want to do is build. But here's what you understand. You cannot build without battling. Because progress always attracts opposition. Can you go to Acts chapter number 20? Acts chapter 20, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 20. Every week I've been asking you a question. The first week we asked you, what breaks your heart? Remember that? Then we asked you, how can I leverage who I am to help others? Last week we asked you, what can I do near me? What can I do near my home? What can I do near where I already am? The question for you this morning is this. The question I want to give you and I want you to ponder is this. What does it take to stop you? What does it take to stop you? I mean, what would it take for you to say, I'm going to go ahead and file for that divorce? What would it take for you to say, I'm going to go ahead and file for bankruptcy? What would it take for you to say, I'm just done. You know, when they're 18, they're out of the house, I can't deal with it, I'm just done trying. What would it take for you to get to that place? What would it take for you to just say, I'm done with Christianity, I'm done with God, I'm done with church, I'm just going back to the world. Remember Peter, I'm going to go back to fishing. What would it take for you to go from building to saying, I will build no more? Because whatever that is, whatever that opposition is, whatever that conflict is, eventually it will come. Eventually the honeymoon is over, marriage problems come in, you begin to realize that you didn't marry the person you thought and they didn't marry the person they thought and now you've got, you know how people get to 60 years of marriage, you know how people get to the place where they're 80 and 85 and 90 years old and they've only been married to one spouse and they, you, you, people get this idea like, well you just lucked out and you just married the right person and you just never had any problems and that's the only reason you made it, you know, 60 years. No, listen to me. People who are married forever, you know, for their entire lives, who get to the end of their lives and they're like, we're married. 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. It's not that they didn't have any problems. It's that they fought for their marriage. Mm -hmm. 
Is that when conflict arose? Is that when things got hard? Is that when the battle came? They said, I wasn't just in it to build. I want to build, and if I have to battle, I'll battle. I'll fight for those kids. I'll fight for those finances. I'll fight for my spirituality. I will build and battle. And that's what most people don't want to do. They want to say, it's fun. Well, it was fun, but now that it's hard, I don't know that I signed up for this. So the question for you is this. What does it take to get you to quit? What does it take to get you to stop? The quote in the bulletin says this. Success is not measured by what you accomplish, but by the opposition you have encountered and the courage with which you have maintained the struggle against overwhelming odds. So what does it take to get you to quit? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would please use this short challenge in our lives.